Welcome to the Hat Soil Health Podcast, a production of Hoosier Ag Today and made possible by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, a program of the Indiana Conservation Partnership. Once a month, we'll spotlight the many efforts around Indiana by CCSI and its many partners to improve soil health on Indiana cropland. Here's the host of the Hat Soil Health Podcast, Eric Pfeiffer. Welcome in. This Hat Soil Health Podcast is coming to you from the Indiana State Fair. We're here at the River Friendly Farmer event, and I just so happen to have one of the River Friendly Farmers with me today who's going to join me on the podcast. We're going to talk about him a little bit, and uh, Pat Bittner is here from Vanderburg County. And if you would, Pat, just first introduce yourself for the folks. Uh, my name is Pat Bittner, and as Eric said, I'm uh, from Vanderburg County and uh, IT professional during the day and uh, a regenerative ag farmer um, whenever I need to be with my dad's farm. So let's talk about that a little bit because uh, you're a little different than many of the farmers that we've had here on the Hat Soil Health podcast in that you're, you're not doing it full time at this point. Uh, but you're still helping out on, on the family farm. Talk about that aspect of kind of what has led you to this point and why you're in IT and not farming full-time at this point. Yeah, so um, we're a small farmer. We have about 250 acres in Vandenberg County. And uh, growing up, I loved the farm. In fact, I was uh, at that time tilling a field when I was supposed to be at my graduation in my eighth grade year. I'd rather be out in the farm, but... Um, my dad encouraged all of us, I got uh, four brothers and sisters, to pursue other careers because of the size of our farm, but I stayed engaged um, throughout whenever I could, and now that my dad's um, semi-retired at a young age of 80 years old, he's asked me to, to manage the farm, and uh, so I went from being his son to the renter and uh, got into regenerative agriculture after attending one of the no-till national no-till events in Indianapolis about five years ago. So so talk about that. Uh, where where did your interest in, in regenerative, uh, regenerative agriculture come from uh, and, and why are you so heavy into that now especially since you're you're not even full-time at this point? Well I was um, when I went to the National Till, I was fortunate enough to meet Dave Brandt, uh, the godfather of regenerative ag, and got to spend some time with him, and uh, he was fascinating to listen to. And after that, I started doing some research, which came pretty natural for me as a, an IT professional, and uh, ran into Gabe Brown and started talking with him some, and Gabe made the comment that he used to wake up in the mornings um, figuring out what he was going to kill that day and when he was kind of forced to go down the regenerative path uh, he wakes up now wanting to figure out what he can nurture that day and that uh, seemed a little bit more appealing to me and uh, it's made for me it's made farming interesting and fun again Um, every day is a new adventure and and it takes a little bit more thought process versus the uh, prescription type farming that we've gotten into with uh, what we classify as conventional ag. So talk to me about some of the soil health practices that you employ on the farm. What what all do you do out there? So uh, our first year after I went to the national no-till um, came home and I told my dad I wanted to plant the whole farm in cereal rye after we harvested and that's when um, my dad said, well, 
we can do that. He said, uh, I'm going to put a, a sign out in the barn just in case. And if it's successful, he said, I'll take credit for being leading edge. And if uh, it doesn't work, I'll put it down at the end of our half mile lane as the farm is under new management. But uh, we went from a monocrop cereal rye cover crop to the next year, I went to about a five-way mix. And ever since then, we've been planting eight to 12-way mixes. And we also uh, jumped into planting green after the second year. So planting green, uh, explain what that is for some folks that may not understand what that is, uh, though, you know, we have discussed it quite a bit here on the Soil Health Podcast, but explain what that is and why you decided to do that particular route. So planting green is uh, when you plant straight into the living cover crop. Um, in our case, we plant by temperature, soil temperature. So it, this year it was early May and uh, our cover crops were probably chest high. Uh, to a six-foot person and uh, we plant directly into those crops and the reason we do that is several. One, um, we want to get the full value of the cover crop that we're spending money on to plant in the fall. Secondly, um, we um, bought an INJ crimper and we crimp after we plant and lays that residue down on the ground and I think that's important for several reasons. We're trying to uh, preserve moisture so it cuts down on evaporation, keeps the ground cooler, which uh, is healthier for the cash crop that you're planting. We also, uh, when you, you know, there's, you got challenges with voles sometimes, although I've found that voles will uh, work in conventional farming also when they're really bad. So if you lay that cover crop down on the ground, they have to get up on top and then your natural predators like the hawks and owls and coyotes and stuff have a better chance of helping keep them in check. And it also makes it easier for the biology in the ground to break that down and, and start the nutrient cycle. So, so you're a big believer in this. You know, a lot of folks, you know, even, even those that, that do cover crops maybe don't necessarily plant green, but you're a big believer. What does it do for things like yield? So we've, other than 2019, when we either should have planted rice or uh, not planted it at all because of the weather, we haven't really seen a yield hit doing the cover crops. Uh, we seem to be still maintaining, and I think that we'll eventually start increasing our yields uh, because of the soil health. We have been able to cut back on some of our inputs due to doing the cover crops. And um, to me, it's the only way to farm and the only direction to go that's regenerative versus um, degrading the soil. I think that uh, we've seen after doing it for five years now, some major changes in our soil profile. Um, the aggregates are a lot better. The water cycle is better. We can take bigger rain events going down in the ground versus running off the ground. And when we have dry periods, our cash crops don't start showing stress as quickly as some of the conventional farming around us does because I think we're taking the water down in the ground. So it, it, it a lot of benefits. And as you get the soil healthier and healthier, there's, you've got trillions trillion and a teaspoon of healthy soil of microbes working for you 24 7 um, and you you've got nitrogen that's free to you in the air 
your plants start learning how to take that back in and you know so we're basically what we're doing in the last five years is we're starting to wean our ground off of chemical based inputs and petroleum based inputs so we're we don't do any pesticides haven't had to for the last five years we haven't had to spray any fungicides we still do a little bit of herbicides and i think that's due that um, <clears throat> our fungi to bacteria ratio is not where it needs to be yet fungi is probably on the light side we need to get closer to a one-to-one -one ratio then the weed pressures won't be there like they are now and i think eventually we'll be able to get to where we don't have to use hardly any inputs well, and I'm guessing that that's why you were nominated and received the River Friendly Farmer Award uh, for some of the, you know, keeping that water uh, in the soil and, and it not running off. Just talk about what it means to you to receive this River Friendly Farmer Award. It's, it's an honor to get noticed for doing something different. Our farm um, in the fall and during the winter is a, a green oasis with a lot of uh, fallow ground all around us. And uh, we get a lot of attention. Uh, I don't know if it's good or bad, but uh, when I'm out there planting in chest high cover crops along the road, there's a lot of people that I'm afraid they're gonna go into the ditch when they're driving because they're like, what's that guy doing? <laughs> so uh, it, it's nice to get recognized for um, doing something like this. And just to really appreciate it. Let's switch gears here a little bit, and I want you to tell me about Bittner Apiaries, Inc. So Bittner Apiaries uh, was something we started when I was uh, the summer of my eighth grade year. My grandfather had kept bees on the farm, a uh, small quantity, about five hives, uh, for pollination purposes and, and honey, because uh, when he was, he lived through the period where they rationed sugar and that because of the world wars and stuff and um, they went through a period where nobody was managing them and some friends of my dad um, some city guys they were architects and that came out and said hey we got interested in bees if we clean them up could we have them and we're like yeah sure no problem and i i watched them and uh, because the bees weren't managed they were a little feisty to say the least um, but a couple years after that i I just, I don't know, that's something that just interested me. And uh, the the summer of my eighth grade year, I decided to start keeping bees. And uh, like just about everything else I do, I went all in. And uh, by the time, probably a year or two later, we had 500 colonies. We were the largest in southern Indiana, and we're keeping most of the bees up in um, Warwick County in the strip mines when they were reclaiming with sweet clover. Unfortunately, they've stopped doing that, and now with a good German community that we are down there, we keep everything pretty clean other than the way I farm, and uh, we starve bees. <laughs> so uh, we, we still have our markets, and uh, my wife, Nanette, uh, does all of our accounting and delivers to the stores that we have. How many stores do we have now? Uh, right now we deliver to about 24 local stores. So we, we uh, partnered with uh, some Mennonites up in northern Indiana, and they keep bees throughout the state of Indiana, some in Michigan, and then in the wintertime they go down to Florida, and we buy uh, honey by the barrel from them uh, for resale. And we're in the process now of uh, trying to build up our number of hives on the farm because of the regenerative practices. We've got a lot more blossoms around there, and we're doing some 
things now with like our terraces um, on our hills that help keep erosion in check. We're planting um, the top side of the terrace is only about 15 foot wide. And most of the equipment nowadays is 30 foot platforms on combines and stuff. So it makes it tough to combine that piece of it. So um, we're putting um, sweet clover and different things on there to keep that um, in pollination and keep the weeds down <clears throat> and benefit the bees. So you're, you're interested in pollinator habitats, uh, obviously on the terrace, but what about other places on the farm as well? Yeah, so we've got some right-of-ways that we're also planting pollinators into, and then with our cover crops, because we let them go to almost maturity, <clears throat> the bees get a nice honey flow off of that also before we plant and crimp them down. So we're trying to keep flowers everywhere we can. So, Pat, longer term here. Uh, you know, right now you're, you're not a full-time farmer. You're an IT full-time. So what's the future for you and the farm itself? So um, what I would like to do is, and I'm in the process of working on a business plan, is I would like to start moving away from commodity type agriculture and move more towards like pastured proteins and that. Um, similar to um, some of the like seven sons in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where they've uh, went from 1500 acre farm down to 500 acre farm. Um, and they do nothing but pastured proteins. They have cows, pigs, and egg-laying layers all on, rotated on pasture on their 500-acre farm. And today they employ 35 full-time people and average over 5,000 net per acre. Um, that compared to what you can do with uh, commodities like corn and soybeans, big difference. <laughs> So that's the direction I would like to go. And we're, like I said, we're in the process of doing some planning and, and easing into doing that. And I just want to continue to push the envelope with the biology that in the ground. So right now we're raising our herd is underground and we're trying to push that to the level that we can. Um, I'm actually in the process right now of um, doing some studying on how to shorten the growing season of a plant so increasing the efficiency of the photosynthesis and the energy to the plant because unlike humans and animals and that where we have to go through a cycle every period so we're limited how much we can grow or whatever in a period plants it's all based on photosynthesis and energy and you can take like a as an example um, 114 day corn and you may be able to shorten that by several weeks because our photosynthesis on average in the United States right now due to the health of the soil only runs at about somewhere between 20 and 34% efficiency. If you can bump that up closer to 50 or 60%, the plant's gonna go through its living cycle to fruit much quicker. And that would help us from the standpoint that we can plant by temperature, which usually I'm the last one in the neighborhood to plant, but the cover crop is just important to me as the cash crop is and if I could get that in and say September time frame versus October time frame I get that much more growth going on the cover crop and that much more benefit going into the winter dormant time period that's that's great and you talk about studying 
I, I want to touch on that a little bit more uh, because it sounds like to do all of this, a lot of studying, a lot of education had to take place. Where does that drive come from, that, that you want to keep learning more about this and keep driving toward this? Um, I'm the type of person that gets bored easy. So, And uh, had I met Dave Brandt uh, when I graduated from high school, uh, my trajectory probably would have went a total different way, but uh, I'm, I'm doing that now. If I'd have studied this much in college, I would have uh, been a much better student. <laughs> I got a finance degree, um, and it's it was good for me, and I ended up in IT. And now I'm, you know, going full steam into this regenerative ag. So one of these days when I grow up, I'll figure out what I want to do. But uh, I've, I've been to several classes with Understanding Ag, which is the uh, organization that Gabe Brown, Dave Brandt, uh, Dr. Alan Williams, and Ray Archuleta started, and they teach all over the world regenerative ag. And I've just finished uh, the Soil Food Web class with Dr. Elaine Ingham, which was um, a, a pretty intense class. It took me about six months to do that. And part of that was getting a microscope so that now I can actually see what's going on under the ground, see the herd that I'm building there, and measure it uh, to make sure we're making progress. And uh, I just continue to read and, and meet people. And the neat thing about the regenerative ag space is, is that um, all the regenerative ag farmers across the world really are more than willing to share their success and their failures. Uh, when I finally talked my dad into going to one of the national no-tills about my third year, we kind of did a divide and conquer and went to different sessions instead of just staying together. And his first comment to me when we met back up was he couldn't believe how many guys were telling him about their failures. You just don't hear that. You know, you hear about the coffee shop and and uh, bar yields, you know, where, you know, they maybe sped up the combine and slowed it down and hey, this field is doing 300 bushel at least for that second, you know. <laughs> but uh, it, they're very willing to share information and, and I enjoy that sense of community. And I think that the it, it's not a fad, this is a movement happening, will be good for the world, especially the United States, because I think we're gonna move back into a situation where the communities are going to start being dependent on each other again. When I was growing up young, we had a local, you know, place to get meat processed, and we had a local grain elevator, and we had a local hardware place you went to, local dealers, and now that's all gone. And with this COVID pandemic, the weakness of having centralized and big ag and big processors and that came to light and people the the positive thing that came out of COVID is people now are more aware and they're asking where their food is coming from because they want to know who's producing it how it's being produced so they're looking for healthier food and as we go down that path we'll find that healthy soil equals healthy plants healthy animals and healthy food for us and things like COVID in the future if we start to keep that cycle going, won't have the effect it did because we'll be much healthier. For folks who are listening to this podcast right now, and maybe they're listening because they've thought about doing some of these soil health practices, maybe they're kind of right in between here of pushing that and, and trying to get into soil health practices. What advice do you have for them? I would say uh, 
you know, find somebody that's doing this. They will be more than willing to share how they're doing it, what not to do, pitfalls, things that we've done that weren't right. Um, podcasts, you can almost get a PhD in regenerative ag just listening to podcasts. There's tons of them out there. Uh, John Kemp has some of the best out there. He interviews people all over the world that are leaders in regenerative ag. Uh, there's a lot of books out there now, and, and there's a lot of classes like Understanding Ag that um, put on that are very helpful in getting you going down that path. And uh, it's a it's a it's a very fascinating area that I think people find interesting, and farmers will find that um, it'll make it fun again to farm and profitable and I, I just I think main thing is just start asking questions and don't be afraid to do that because there's no dumb questions when it comes to regenerative ag. Pat Bittner, Vanderburg County, thank you so much for joining us on the Soil Health Podcast and congratulations on your River Friendly Farmer Award. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. And that does it for this edition of the Hat Soil Health Podcast presented by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. Visit them at ccsin.org for a calendar of events. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. This Hat Soil Health Podcast has been a presentation of Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's Farm Network.